This is the Santita Jackson Show. Well, good morning. Happy New Year, Chicago, Minneapolis, wherever you are on the planet. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. I am your host, Reverend Dr. Todd Geary, Senior Pastor of the Douglas Memorial Community Church part of the Rainbow Push Coalition family, and I get to sit in the big chair for my big sis who is making a move at the beginning of 2024, literally. And so glad to be with you as you get back into the flow of a new year. Hope you're healthy. Hope you're well right where you are. Glad to be sharing with you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 in Minnesota, the progressive voice of Minnesota, as we will have a lot to talk about today as we uh, move into a new year. Call us at 773-763-WCPT. That's 773-763-9278 if you want to be in on the conversation. And I promise you, you'll want to get in on this conversation today. As we get started uh, on today, uh, let me run through some of the headlines. Going to give you a little bit of sports. We're going to talk about what's happening. But here's what's going on to get you going for the day. Uh, with the new year comes new state laws. New state laws have gone into effect uh, beginning on yesterday. In Illinois, you can no longer be stopped for having things hanging from your rearview mirror. Air fresheners, parking placards, and yes, fuzzy dice are good to go now. It's believed that eliminating the prohibition will limit pretextual stops by police. However, also new in the law is that you cannot, get ready for it, you cannot video conference while driving. Shocking, yep. Uh, the change is to help combat distracted driving. In the meantime, the Supreme Court has declined to intervene on the Illinois ban on high-powered semi-automatic rifles and high-capacity magazines. That ban also went into effect on yesterday. In Minnesota, a new law allows authorities to ask courts for extreme risk protection orders to take guns from people deemed to be an imminent threat to themselves or others. The new law makes Minnesota at least the 20th state was such a red flag law. There is a surge in migrant arrivals in now New Jersey as buses from Texas and Louisiana are now being directed to stop there to work around the restrictions recently put in place by executive order by New York City Mayor Eric Adams. And while Texas Governor Greg Abbott has been silent on the change in tactics, Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards has acknowledged the use of the Louisiana bus company, but he insists that the migrants are being bused from Texas and not from Louisiana. In international news, Israel's Supreme Court, this is a big deal, struck down a law that limited its powers and now pits the court against the right-wing government of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. The 8-7 to seven ruling is believed to have the potential to renew the conflict over restructuring the Israeli judiciary. The court, sitting with a full panel of all 15 of its justices for the first time in its history, rejected the law passed by Parliament last July. The law barred judges from using the reasonableness standard to overrule decisions made by government ministers. The court has been criticized for the timing of its ruling because of the ongoing war in Gaza between Israel and Hamas. The uh, South African government has initiated a case against Israel at the International Court of Justice 
the Department of International Relations and Cooperation in South Africa said it is gravely concerned with the plight of civilians caught in the present Israeli attacks on the Gaza Strip due to the indiscriminate use of force and forcible removal of inhabitants and called on the ICJ to take action to force Israel rather to immediately cease its current attacks on 2.3 million residents. And as the death toll rises in Gaza, Israeli officials actually are concerned about possible genocide charges at the ICJ. In sports... Last night, the Timberwolves fell to the Knicks, 112-106. to The Bulls are in Philadelphia tonight. Chicago will play Nashville in NHL hockey, and the Wild will host Calgary tonight. And on Sunday, uh, this Sunday, the Vikings will play Detroit in the Motor City, and the Bears will be in Green Bay. If you stayed up last night watching college football, the national championship matchup is set as Michigan beat Alabama 27-20 in overtime and will play the Washington Huskies, who used all of their time to beat Texas 37-31 and used every single second to pull off the win. In your weather, as you get ready for the day in Chicago, expect a high of 39 degrees, mostly sunny skies. Tonight, the low will be 30. And in Minneapolis, the high will be 35 with partly cloudy skies. And tonight's low will be 27. As you get ready for uh, the King Holiday Weekend, here's an announcement for you. There's an emergency summit for Gaza at the Rainbow Push Coalition. Mark your calendar now for January 12th and 13th. 930 East 50th Street is the place you will want to be uh, as we will be holding and hosting a conversation, an important summit on uh Peace in Gaza. Some of the speakers include, of course, Reverend Jesse Jackson, Dr. Jim Zogby, uh, Dr. Nina Turner, uh, Reverend Dr. Frederick Haynes, uh, Congressman Jonathan Jackson. Uh, I believe Dr. Cornell West is coming. You need to make your plans now to be there on January 12th and January the 13th. For more information, go to rainbowpush.org. Those are the highlights for the morning and to get us started off the right way in a new year. My friend, my brother, Reverend Stephen Thurston, the pastor of New Covenant Missionary Baptist Church on the South Side, is with us this morning to give us some good news. Pastor Thurston, how are you, my friend? What is going on? Happy New Year to you. Hey, Dr. Yuri, thank you, sir. Welcome to the new year to you as well. Pray that this year is amazing, that God does some crazy good stuff for you this year. And for everybody that's tuned in and listening, and of course, we give our shout out to Santita as she's making the big move in the new year. I want to challenge us as we have now shifted into 2024 uh, from the lens of focusing on the power of letting go. Yeah, there's some good news in letting go. Okay. A uh, little technical difficulty, but we're going to get back to letting go in just a moment uh, as uh, we get uh, Pastor Thurston back on the line. Uh, he's off to a good start, so don't go anywhere. That's good news. I'm I'm all in, all ears, uh, even as uh, we're getting it back. There he is. I think I hear him. Pastor Thurston, pick I'm up back. where you left off. Keep going. Great. Yes, sir. Usually in response to something that's already occurred or after perceiving that someone is against us or means us harm, we find ourselves ruminating about the incident or the person. Anger, bitterness, resentment, and other negative emotions build up within us, and we find ourselves left holding a grudge. And I know you like telling yourself that it's over, that you're past it, and you've moved on, 
But if you're still mad well after uh, that incident, the truth is you're still holding a grudge. Okay, look, that's persistence will pay off. Look, let this be a good lesson for us at the start of the new year. Don't get frustrated. Sometimes there'll be disruptions, but you just keep pressing until you get everything you're supposed to get. So it's not surprising. Welcome to the world of live radio. Is my brother back? <laughs> keep going. I'm back. All right, man. I don't know why this, this phone won't let me keep going. But we talk about angerness and bitterness and resentment, those things settling in. We tell ourselves that, that the situation is over, that we've passed it, that we moved on. But again, if we're still mad after the incident, after time has passed, the truth is that you're... We got a bad connection. All right, we're going to try to fix that connection and make sure we get him stable uh, to come back and uh, give us the good news. So whatever time... We get that worked out. Don't worry. We're going to fit it all in. You're not going to miss a thing as we continue to do what we do on, yes, the Santita Jackson Show. Then I'm Todd Geary sitting in for my big sis, sitting in the big chair. You can be a part of the conversation, 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Uh, as we uh, continue to look to see to get him stable, uh, now might be a good time and we can work on uh, those technical difficulties as we get ready to uh, prepare for the new year and get some good insights from Dr. Shanina Knighton, who will be joining us in just a moment. One of the things I wanted her to talk about is many times we go into the new year with good intentions and we make these resolutions. Now, if you're like me, uh, one of the resolutions I always make is I'm going to eat better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to try better. And it starts well, but it doesn't end so well. So if you're like me, get ready. There are going to be some insights to get you off to a good start as we move into the new year in terms of diet. All right. So we're going to feed your spirit now because my brother's back. Take it away. Pick up where I'm you back. left off. my brother. <laughs> I'm back. One more again. So you're probably saying to me, Stephen, um, you don't know the full story. You don't know how bad they did me, how horrible the situation was. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being angry, and I'm not telling you that you shouldn't be angry about what's happened. It's a valid emotion that you should process. He's gone again. All right, so we're going to try it again. Let's let's try to work on uh, Pastor Thurston's connection, and let's talk to Dr. Knighton. Let's get our diet straight, and then we'll come back and try to get this whole message. I don't want it chopped up. I want us to get a good sermon to start the beginning of a new year. Dr. Shanina Knighton, infection preventionist, uh, sister from another mister who gives us all kinds of insights. Happy New Year to you. Hope you are well. What's going on in the world of infection prevention? Happy New Year. And I think we're going to switch speeds. And instead of talking about infection prevention, just thinking about prevention in lieu of New Year's and what are ways in which we should think about health as well as staying healthy. See, oftentimes when people think about infection prevention and control, we don't think about how food plays a major part in it. And so whether someone's goal is to say, hey, I just want to stay overall healthy this upcoming year, meaning I don't want to get sick. If someone is saying, hey, I want to, you know, lose weight, I want to maintain weight, they have certain goals, I want to get to the gym. 
is just thinking about what does that start with. And it starts with forming habits and consistency. I specifically want to talk about food. Food is very important when you're talking about, let's say, losing weight. So 80% is what you put in your mouth, and then it's 20% that's exercise. I often talk to people, and they're like, hey, I'm eating this, and they don't realize sometimes that it's not about what it is that they're eating as much as what it is that is contained in what what they're eating. So, for example, just one ingredient that I often like to talk about because it shows up in vitamins, it shows up in foods, it shows up in snacks, and that is maltodextrin. Maltodextrin, meaning that... Malt, what, 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 what is it? Maltodextrin. All right, got it. You got it? I got it. So maltodextrin is an ingredient that when in foods, it can cause weight gain. So if you're, for example, saying, hey, I want want a vitamin, I want to take a vitamin, vitamins do not have to contain maltodextrin, but they do. But just because you want to take a healthy vitamin and get good nutrients does not mean that you are also signing up for weight gain. So it is important that when you are looking at your ingredients, when you are looking for a vitamin, or looking for some sort of supplement to make sure that it doesn't have these extra fillers in it that is going to essentially go against your goals. So if your goal is like, hey, I want to lose weight, but I also just want to make sure I'm getting my nutrients in, just know that having that ingredient inside of whatever it is that you're consuming is going to lead to weight gain. For example, if you just say, hey, I need more vitamin D, Having more vitamin D does not mean that you should have maltodextrin, which can which can lead to weight gain. To give you another context, um, it's oftentimes found in potato chips. You know, potato chips lead to weight gain. So they're in there. Um, sometimes they're found um, in breast mints. So you'll see maltodextrin in there. Again, having fresh breath does not necessarily mean that you are signing up for weight gain. So that is one of the ingredients that I would tell people that is very important to be on the lookout for because it can go against your goals if the goal is, let's say, to lose weight. The other thing that I want to talk about as well is just with vitamins in general, the fillers that are placed in them. I will not go, let's say, into detail, detail, because there's a lot of them. But you'll see things on there such as silicon dioxide. You may see magnesium stearate. Some of these ingredients, it's saying, again, that it will upset your stomach. Some of them will cause nausea. Some of it will cause diarrhea. There is no need for these ingredients to be inside of your vitamins, but they are sometimes inside of vitamins. There are vitamins that do not contain these ingredients. So the bottom line is, is sometimes we may have a good intention, 
I'm saying that we're going to fuel our bodies correctly, but because we are not reading the labels that are on the back of our vitamins, that are on the back of our food, it can be going against our goals. And sometimes when it happens, it can be very discouraging because you're saying to yourself, well, I thought that I was eating healthy for these two weeks and I thought that I was exercising. Why is it that the scale isn't moving? Why is it that I don't feel any different? A lot of times it is because we have these additives that are placed in the foods that are not doing our bodies any good. So I just want to remind people that that is very important. So, Dr. Knight, here's a question for you, because the labels can be very intimidating. I've I've looked at labels, trying to compare Mm -hmm. labels, trying to figure out what the distinctions are. How, How do you coach folks to be able to know how to navigate the complexity of, of the labels on vitamins, on foods, when we're trying to figure out what yeah. we should and should not buy? So the good thing is, is that we may not necessarily know how to pronounce something, but we can spell it and we can type it. So even with my children, I will tell you that, for example, I'm not going to put these brands on blast, but there's some particular let's say, snacks that they like to eat that are full of food coloring, that are full of, let's say, a lot of bad ingredients. And I tell my kids not to eat them, but every once in a while they feel like it's okay to sneak them. And so whenever I catch them, okay, I make them literally take the bag of this particular snack and they have to start from the bottom of the ingredient list and type side effects of They may not necessarily know how to pronounce everything, but they can put it into Google and spell it. So if you put side effects of, let's say, certain ingredients, it's going to tell you what it's attached to. Some of those ingredients is attached to, let's say, skin irritation. Some ingredients are going to be directly attached to nausea and vomiting. Some are going to be attached to carcinogens. And you may find that with some of those carcinogens, it'll say that this ingredient has been attached to cancer or tumors in animals, you know, in laboratory studies. These ingredients will come up when you type what are the side effects of. So if I can teach anyone to navigate, it's going to be to start at the bottom of the list and it's going to be to type in what are the side effects of? So if it says FDC, FDNC1, if it's got red 40, if it's got yellow 6, whatever's there, start to type that in and it will start to tell you things. And I say this because even still, we sometimes can be consuming things and it's working against our bodies and we don't understand why. I have a friend, and she cannot understand why her allergies and her asthma were so bad. But she had this one food in her diet that I know contained an ingredient called azodicarbonamide. And you don't have to remember the ingredient, the ingredient is, you might not be able to pronounce it. As much as it is, it's a whitening and bleaching agent. Okay, that's found in our bread. 
So when she was eating this, she couldn't understand why she was always having flare-ups and why her asthma was always being triggered. When she removed that one ingredient from her diet, she was able to better manage. And so that's just an example of us looking something up and understanding if I'm having these symptoms, is it because I'm eating too much of a particular food? So as we're starting this new year out, I want us to think about what are we consuming? 80%, remember diet is 80% of what we're eating and then 20% exercise. And in order for us to start it out right, we have to be aware that we are fueling our body with the correct ingredients, whether that is vitamins or food. And yes, even if you can't pronounce it, we can spell it and we can type it in and understand what it is that we're eating. So that way, when we know better, we can do better. When we know better, we can do better. Part of the commitment to the new year. Thank you, Dr. Shanina Knighton. As we get healthy in 2024, as we get ready for the next discussion at the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk about all things election 2024. We're still going to get some good news. Stay right there. Don't go anywhere. It's the Santita Jackson Show, WCPT 820 AM 950. Be back in a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. We are back on the Santita Jackson Show. So glad to be with you, Pastor Todd Neary from the Douglas Memorial Community Church in Baltimore, Maryland, part of the Rainbow Push Coalition family, sitting in the big chair, yes, for my big sis, who is making a move, literally, in 2024. She's getting it in, but we can't wait. Uh, She'll be back because we got a whole lot to talk about uh, as we are navigating uh, this. It's now an election year, officially, now that we've crossed over uh, into January. One of the things we're going to talk about uh, in the coming half hour and probably into the next is kind of the context. One of the things that seems to be missing in the discourse is the issue of race. Is, is there this hesitance or avoidance of dealing with race and racial history? And uh, it's no more obvious than I think if you've watched the news over the last few days, uh, the unfortunate blunder of uh, Nikki Haley uh, in a town hall meeting up in New Hampshire. So we're going to talk about that. I'm going to be joined by Dwight McKee, Robert Patillo, and Aaron Connolly in just a moment. But I wanted to make sure that we still had... Uh, Time to get the good news. I want my good news. Pastor Stephen Thurston (laughs) is back. And, man, we're going to get it in. We're going to do this. We're going to get it. So go ahead. (laughs) Preach, preach. Yes, Yes, sir. Let's kick it from the beginning. Usually in response to something that's already occurred or after perceiving that someone is against us or means us harm, we find ourselves ruminating about that incident or that person. We find angerness and bitter anger and bitterness and resentment and other negative emotions building up within us and we find ourselves left holding a grudge. And I know that we like telling ourselves that it's over, it's finished, the benediction has been announced. 
that, that the past is behind us and we've moved on. But the reality of the matter is that we're often still mad after the incident. And that means that we're holding a grudge. And the problem is holding on to a grudge can impact us emotionally, physically, and even socially. And you're probably saying to me, Stephen, you don't know the full story. You don't understand what happened, how bad they did me, how horrible they treated me. And listen, there's nothing wrong with being angry. And I'm not telling you to not be angry. It's a valid emotion that you should process through. But at the end of the day, holding a grudge is not good for you. It just ensnares you in anger and makes you prone to persistent rumination. You've hired the grudge to solve your problem. But if you were to conduct a performance review, you'd most likely discover that the grudges you hold are performing poorly. Grudges cost us resources, but they don't deliver satisfying return on our investment. So here's my advice to you concerning the grudges that you might be holding on to and have hired. Uh, I want you to hire slow or not at all and then fire fast when it comes to these grudges. And I can see you through the phone. You're thinking about what I just said, this employee-employer analogy that I just used, and it's probably starting to make sense to you. So let's dig into that a little deeper. You hire the grudge to make you feel in control of the situation. And while it gives you a sense of control, that feeling is fleeting and false because in reality, the grudge controls you. It pretends to be subservient to us, but it has a takeover spirit. In addition, it keeps us in that never-ending loop of blame, self-righteousness, and self-loathing. And others of us have hired a grudge to give us attention. When people hear our victim story, we get their support and their sympathy. And this then incentivizes us to tell our story over and over and over again. But here's the thing. Behind the sympathy people express, there's also fatigue. Guess what? People are really tired of hearing your victim story. This is the reason why you have to end up finding new people to tell your story to. Still others hire goods to get them off the hook. As long as there's someone else to take the blame, a scapegoat, a boogeyman, we don't have to take responsibility for our anger. We're granted implicit immunity to wallow in our negative emotions without having to justify ourselves to anyone. And I get it. It, it feels freeing in the moment. But in the long run, long term rather, our prize isn't freedom. Our prize is captivity in our anger, resentment, contempt, and negativity. Finally, there are some that hire a grudge to protect themselves. We think that being uh, wary of the people or the persons who hurt us, we can protect ourselves from the future hurt, as if the grudge creates emotional armor. But this isn't how it works. The grudge actually makes us more vulnerable, more fearful. It becomes harder to trust and let others in. So here's the good news. Here's my suggestion today. My suggestion today is that we relieve grudges of their duties. Yep, it's time to serve some pink slips as we enter into this new year. The investment you've been making in grudges, let's shift that into learning and practicing positive coping skills. Now, I didn't say rush to forgiveness or brush off what was done to you. Just don't let your methods of coping with the upsetting incident become a long-lasting state of being. My challenge to you today is that you aim to work through the issue, resolve it, and get to a place where you can ultimately move on. Let's give some power to letting go. Fire the grudges. 
That's Get the it. Bricks. We got to let them go. That's it. My man. My man. Dr. Knighton gave us some things to do that we're going to take in. Pastor Thurston is helping us get rid of some burdens that we're going to let go of. Welcome to the good news. Before you go real quick, Dr. Thurston, can you talk a bit about how you're engaging around some of the issues that are affecting the role of the church in affecting good social change and being good neighbors? What's happening at New Covenant? Yeah, man. I'm challenging our members at the church that we move from just prophetic messages to prophetic maps. And what that means is on Sunday morning, I'm going to give a good challenging prophetic message from the pulpit. I'm going to tell the people, this is what we need to do. This is where we need to be as a congregation, as a community, as individuals. But I'm not trying to stop there. I'm trying to provide maps, showing people how to get to where I am saying that we need to be. And so putting us in position to be a resource hub, giving people the blueprint, the resources, the tools, and the toolbox to get them to where they're going. So many issues in our community that we're facing, and we have to be actively engaged in providing solutions uh, to people uh, from the immigrant crisis. So we've opened up our doors and we've made available space for individuals, feeding individuals on a weekly basis, 150 so people. We do what we can to meet the needs of the people and to, again, give them a map to get to where they need to be. Don't just point the finger, but grab them by the hand and walk them gently with grace to the place where they need to be, sir. Prophetic mapping, that's the theme. That's the thing for 2024. Pastor Stephen Thurston II, if you've seen the son, you've seen the father. The Covenant <laughs> Missionary Baptist Church. You can check him out at 754 East 77th Street in Chicago. See him on Sunday morning and be a part of that good map. And Pastor Thurston, thanks for all you do. Appreciate you so much. Thanks for hanging in there and giving us good news to kick off the new year. Thank you, Dr. Yuri. Appreciate being with you, sir. Likewise. Well, let's talk. Um, I need to get my crew on board because they got to help me with something. And as uh, I'm, I'm getting them together, here's what you can do. You can get ready to get in on this conversation because I really want to know what your thoughts are. So call us at 773-763-WCPT, 773-763-9278. Joining me now are three of my partners in doing good. I'm not going to say partners in crime. Don't want you to think badly of them. But... Uh, Attorney Aaron Connolly, founder of Covenant Strategies, a political strategist, community organizer. Dwight McKee, social scientist, dean of the Mahafa Redemption Project at New Mount Pilgrim Missionary Baptist Church. And Attorney Robert Patillo, host of his own radio program, WAOK Radio in Atlanta, part of the Rainbow Push Coalition family. My brother from another mother, he keeps me straight. Hey, y'all, good morning. Let's talk. How y'all doing? Happy New Year. Yo, hey, happy all right, happy we got the choirs singing. Happy New Year. There's, there's the lead singer right there. All right, so you all help me with this. To be president, you must be a natural-born citizen at least 35 years of age and have resided in the country for at least 14 years. Obviously, knowing history ain't part of that problem. Nikki Haley... Huh is asked a question about what caused the Civil War. And she goes through great pains to talk about the Civil War was about government intrusion in the lives of people. Now, of course, we know that Nikki Haley, before she was 
UN ambassador. She was the governor of the state of South Carolina. And if we know our history, we know that at Fort Sumter in the state of South Carolina, that's where the Civil War, as they will say in the vernacular, that's where the thing jumped off. So if anybody should know what the Civil War was all about, you would expect that the former governor of the state, who was the one who took down the Confederate flag after Dylan Roof slaughtered the saints at Mother Emanuel AME Church. What was she thinking? Aaron Connolly, help a brother out, because I'm confused. Did I miss something? <laughs> no, no. I think, you know, what we heard from, from Nikki Haley um, in that town hall format, right, this is something that she's practiced probably a thousand times. And whoever her team is, is on the sidelines just cringing at this answer because she um, she basically um, put some words together, but they they didn't create a sentence that, that had any sort of resonance with the audience she was speaking to. She came off almost afraid, frazzled, um, and she looked incompetent in the face of a very simple historical truth that this audience in, in New Hampshire, she's in, she's in strong Yankee territory. You're not in South Carolina anymore. And the fact that she, she cannot say the word slavery in that context um, is, is shocking and frightening. The, the scarier part is, is that her base seems to, to not care at all, which isn't surprising, but there is the audience that she's speaking to in New Hampshire and other places and we've seen this this slow rise of her star since since the summertime, right? She's she's saying some things that are making sense to the I, I think predominantly white female base of the Republican Party, who is tired of the nonsense of Donald Trump, who doesn't want a circus and wants someone proper and nice to to enact the policies of of Trump and the Republican Party, right? So, so make no mistake, Nikki Haley, this is what she believes. She does not, she has never given an answer. If you look at her, her previous remarks, whether or not uh, it was running for governor in South Carolina at the time, she is walking the high line of not saying the word slavery and not alienating this, this Southern base um, as a woman and a woman of color, right, in, in the Republican Party. So um, she miscalculated the audience. Uh, I think in a big way, she had an opportunity in the follow-up question to, to to give a more eloquent and graceful answer about, um, you know, learning our history and some tough lessons. I think she could have come out of it at the time, um, but it's difficult for her to speak to that independent, Republican-leaning, traditional voter who is looking for some semblance of um, honesty in a Republican party that has has you know, just completely dissolved under the toxicity of a Donald Trump movement. Right. And so so for folks like that, they they, I think, are a little exasperated, especially when she uh, claims to be such a, a intellectual superior in many ways. She's she's been coming for Vice President Kamala Harris uh, for weeks now, um, commenting about her uh answers that don't make sense, yet she can't answer a simple history question that any third grader can answer with more eloquence than, than what she provided the voters of New Hampshire. So um, I, it'll be interesting to play out. I, I think that that audience and certainly the, 
the Washington uh, political insider audience took, took note of it in a bigger way, which means let's see what happens with her money, right? This may be um, something where people are, are saying that she doesn't have the chops to, to really stand up um, to the rest of the Republican primary fight. And frankly, does she have she can't answer this question and, and got that frazzled. Um, who do we want her negotiating uh, in rooms with as, as, a, as a leader in the party in the country? So it'll be interesting to see how how that response uh, is, impacts her, her campaign as she's really fighting for um, a chance against Donald Trump in New Hampshire. Robert Patillo, I think Aaron, Aaron raises the point, but is, do you think this was a blunder or was this uh, a miscalculation? It was intentional. She thought she'd be able to dance around it. But then the other part is, is that is this kind of the counter? You have the the overt avoidance of the talking about race, and then you have kind of the passive avoidance, some would say on the other side, from the Democratic Party about really advancing the interests that promote racial justice. What's your take on this whole thing? Is this is this just about Nikki Haley or is this symptomatic of something that's much more pervasive in our politics? Well, of course, it's a, a, a deeper symptom of America's failure to address uh, what Condoleezza Rice called the innate birth defect of America, which is slavery. Uh, it, uh, I, I find it interesting the number of Democratic politicians that are, are willing to make a lot of hay. And a lot of members of the media uh, that are criticizing Nikki Haley for this, but I don't see anybody rushing to have a vote on reparations uh, that would actually ameliorate the long-term effects of slavery. I'm less concerned with Nikki Haley's comments about slavery than the, the, the latent impact that it's still having on African-American communities. If you look at the levels of black wealth, if you look at uh, social conditions, if you look at the, uh, the economic conditions, uh, educational health conditions, all of these are the, uh, the effects of not dealing with the uh, the impacts of slavery, not having a Truth and Reconciliation Council, uh, not having a, a, a proper uh, uh, reparations program, uh, not having the 40 acres and a mule that we were promised, uh, as Frederick Douglass said, uh, to have freedom. Freedom for what? Freedom to live in the woods, freedom to the land and the sky. Uh, we, we were never uh, dealing with this issue, and we still refuse to deal with this issue. And I don't think Nikki Haley had a blunder at all. Uh, if you listen to Nikki Haley over the course of the last uh, 15 years of public life, she's given this exact same response that uh, she does, uh, re- in a Republican primary in particular, uh, they have been pushing this idea that there's no such thing as uh, racism, there's no such thing uh, as uh, 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 discrimination. Uh, Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy have attacked uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. They used to keep that part secret they want to get rid of diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Uh, now they say it out loud. Uh, if, you, if you look at the policies of the Republican Party, uh, it's been very clear that, uh, particularly in a Republican primary field, you have to make this argument that there's no such thing uh, as slavery. You have to make this argument that this was so uh, so long ago and so uh, antithetical uh, to uh, what America means, as they like to say, that they have no reason 
uh, to bring these things up. So, no, this was not a blunder. That She said what she uh, meant to, she meant to exactly what she said. Uh, if you ask Republican primary voters, they probably agree with her in large part uh, as to this idea of their big, bigger issue isn't slavery, but it's an overbearing federal government which they're afraid of. She was able to tie it back into what her base message is, which is don't trust the government, don't trust the institutions, don't trust the media, don't trust the liberal elites don't trust the major colleges and universities. Uh, uh, that is what caused the Civil War on in Republican revisionist history, uh, as taught to you in, in Florida public schools. And it's a dangerous place to be at because once you're, uh, as Voltaire said, if you can convince a man of absurdities, you can convince him to commit atrocities. Uh, if you can convince these Republican pri- uh, voters that the Civil War was not about slavery but was about uh, states' rights and individual freedoms and an overbearing government, uh, well, then you are setting conditions. You're creating the powder keg uh, for what uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene has called for a national divorce, uh, which is gaining steam and gaining uh, gaining strength on the Republican side of the aisle. Uh, the idea of a constitutional convention to reform the Constitution in such a way uh, that is more closely related to what the Founding Fathers wanted. I dot E and into any of the, uh, the amendments that give rights to minorities and a reestablishment of white supremacy as being the, uh, the founding principle uh, of the second American Republic. So Nikki Haley uh, was blowing every dog whistle that she could. And I think that we're seeing a very basis level analysis uh, from the national media on what exactly she was trying to get across. And even this idea of giving her the benefit of the doubt to say that this may have been on accident. Uh, this is what Republicans count on. And she's, she, she gave the right answer if she wants to be the Republican nominee. Big Brother Dwight McKee, uh, Chris Lehman at The Nation magazine wrote an article called Nikki Haley Needs a History Lesson. Does she really need a history lesson or is this part of the ongoing exercise about historical revisionism? How do you see this? Well, Robert is right on point as usual, but it's no, she don't need a history lesson. Uh, what she has was called, we used to call selective amnesia strategic amnesia is that she understands history well enough to know what not to say about it. Because there's a, you know, a, a legitimate uh, situation in politics that when you use certain words and make certain acknowledgments, you become obligated to them. It's almost almost like Miranda rights. If you say, you know, in the court of law, they put you on the stand and you say, yeah, I raped her, but she consented, then they hold that against you. Well, there's certain buzzwords when politicians use them, uh, like genocide, like slavery. Then there's a more obligation, a legal obligation, that connects you to those, those statements. And so once you acknowledge slavery, particularly if you are a president or presidential candidate, then you have a moral obligation now to have to address this. So if you acknowledge slavery, now you have to put reparations on the table as a legitimate political cure to a situation that you've already publicly acknowledged. If you publicly say genocide, then there becomes a legal obligation for you to address genocide. 
which is why they are so careful not to use those words in conversations. Um, so I think that she is strategic because they don't want white people don't want the obligation of what slavery has produced in this country and their obligation to have now have to recompense the people who they have enslaved. Which when, when Aaron Connolly <laughs> talks about, yeah, did, didn't mean to cut you off, but on that, this, this issue of kind of speaking to the base, if she's appealing to or trying to appeal to suburban white women, is this a, an intentional move not to create this kind of panic that race or racial justice is going to be part of a platform that goes against the interest of her base? It's not just trying to appeal to white women. It's trying to protect white women because ultimately white women and black men are going to be responsible for having to put the, the, uh, the ante up for what genocide and slavery has created in this country. And so, uh, yeah, there is an appeal because they want to be protected. But ultimately, it is not it's not an emotional appeal or just a political appeal. It is a functional appeal that uh, uh, gives them the option to not have to address the real issue of what, what slavery has created and how they benefited themselves by slavery and what is their legal and moral obligation to address that. It would cost them money and resources to address. Some people estimate as much as, as $50 trillion uh, is what they would end up having to pay, which is more than existing budget when you factor in 350 years free labor to a country that is making them the richest people in the world. It's an interesting dilemma as we're getting ready to go into primary season. What role, what place will race and racial justice play in the primaries, even as we get ready to move toward a November presidential election? We're going to talk more about the primary season that is about to get started. We're less than two weeks away from the Iowa caucus. And yes, it is on the King holiday. Isn't that some irony? We will have to see what comes out of it, but we're going to continue the discussion on the other side after we deal with some more headlines. In the meantime, get in on the conversation. 773-763-WCPT, 773-763-9278. It's the Santita Jackson Show. I'm Todd Geary sitting in the big chair for my big sis. Call in. Don't go anywhere. We got more to talk about. We'll be back on the other side. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Good morning, happy new year. It's January 2nd, 2024. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show, the second hour. I'm Todd Geary, senior pastor of the Douglas Memorial Community Church in Baltimore, part of the Rainbow Push Coalition family, sitting in the big chair for my big sis, who is actually moving, packing boxes and books and all of that. Uh, but checking in and making sure that all is well. So glad to be with you. 
WCPT 820 is where we are sharing with you on the World Wide Web, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, our sister station up there around the Twin Cities. Glad to be with you. Want you to be a part of the conversation. 773-763-9278-773-763 WCPT. In just a moment, we're going to continue the discussion about the upcoming primaries. It is an election year, but before we get to that, want to go over a few headlines yet one more time. In Illinois, new state laws have gone into effect with the new year. You can no longer be stopped for having things hanging from your rearview mirror. That means air fresheners, parking placards, and yes, fuzzy dice are now good to go. It's believed that eliminating the prohibition will limit pretextual stops by police. However, also new in the law is that you cannot wait for video conference while driving. Yeah, shocking. And uh, the change is, of course, to help combat distracted driving. In the meantime, the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, declined to intervene on the Illinois ban on high-powered semi-automatic rifles and high-capacity magazines. That ban also went into effect on yesterday. In Minnesota, there's a new law that allows authorities to ask courts for extreme risk protection orders to take guns from people deemed to be imminent threats to themselves or others. This new law makes Minnesota at least now the 20th state with such a red flag law. There is now a surge in migrant arrivals in New Jersey. Yes, New Jersey, as buses from Texas and Louisiana are now being directed to work around the restrictions put in place by New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Instead of having to comply with time windows and advance notice, uh, the migrants are now being dropped off at random places in New Jersey, uh, still ending up in the city of New York. In the meantime, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has been silent on the change in tactic, while Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards has disavowed any role in the new change while acknowledging the use of a Louisiana bus company, but stating that all of the migrants are coming from Texas. In international news, Israel's Supreme Court has struck down a law that limited its powers and now pits the court against the right-wing government of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. The 8-7 to seven ruling is believed to have the potential to renew the conflict over restructuring the Israeli judiciary. The court, sitting with a full panel of all 15 of its justices for the first time in its history, rejected the law passed by Parliament last July. The law barred judges from using the reasonableness standard to overrule decisions made by government ministers. The court has been criticized for the timing of its ruling because of the ongoing war in Gaza between Israel and Hamas. In the meantime, South Africa has initiated uh, a case against Israel, the International Court of Justice, for genocide. The motion was filed as the death toll in Gaza has now surpassed 21,500 people and tens of thousands of displaced residents have fled and Israeli ground offensive as airstrikes have continued in southern Gaza. South Africa took its latest action regarding Israel less than two weeks after uh, President Ramaphosa announced the government had submitted documents to the ICC supporting its demand made in November with several other countries that the court investigate Israel for war crimes. Uh, South Africa joined international human rights experts in saying Israel's blockade of Gaza and violent treatment of those in the enclave in the West Bank is a form of apartheid, rather, comparing Israel's policies to the racial segregation that was imposed for nearly five decades by the white minority that controlled South Africa. Stay tuned because there's more to come 
on that. Those are the headlines this morning. I want to remind you and invite you to share with and join the Rainbow Push Coalition as part of its emergency summit for Gaza. It's going to be on January 12th and 13th, the weekend leading up to the Dr. King holiday, which is the 15th. Uh, Friday the 12th from 11 to 6, Saturday the 13th from 10 to 1 at 930 East 50th Street in Chicago, Rainbow Push Coalition headquarters. Going to be an important conversation. Uh, Cornell West is going to be there. Reverend Jackson is going to be there. Reverend Dr. Freddie Haynes, the new president and CEO. Uh, Dr. Jim Zogby, Dr. Nina Turner, uh, so many other people. It is going to be a coalition of folks who come from various walks but have a common purpose which is to help resolve the conflict and restore peace and humanity in Gaza. So you don't want to miss it. January 12th and 13th, mark your calendars for more information. Go to rainbowpush.org. We'll have more to say about it as we get closer to the 12th. So let's keep this conversation going about, here we are, it's election year. Uh, The primaries are here. The Iowa caucus is January the 15th, actually the Dr. King holiday that evening. Uh, We talked a bit in the prior segment about uh, Nikki Haley's statement, whether it was a misstatement or a blunder. I think that's open for debate. Uh, But the conversations about race seem to kind of point to the fact that maybe Nikki Haley didn't think she had to talk about race because she was in New Hampshire. Maybe it's not a conversation to go to Iowa. Robert Petillo, when we start looking at the primaries and the fact that the presidency is not one national election, it's 50 state elections of electors that elect the president. Where does geography fit in the conversation and how do you address racial justice when you start out the political season in states that are not all that racially diverse? Uh, Well, this is part of the reason the Democrats uh, moved the primary calendar to start with South Carolina, because you had African-Americans who were gaining power within the party. And we've been making the argument for years, well, when you start in Iowa, and New Hampshire, by the time you even get to South Carolina, uh, many of the uh, black candidates and more pro- uh, progressive candidates have already been widowed uh, out of the race uh, uh, by the time you even make that uh, that place. In the Republican Party, on the, uh, in contrast, uh, that's baked into the pie. Uh, they don't want to deal with these issues of racial justice and minority rights. They don't want to actually build out the party uh, and bring in new people. They had an opportunity to do that. If, you, if people think back, after President Obama was elected, Republicans made Michael Steele the Republican Party chairperson uh, in order to start uh, talking about becoming a more diverse party, going back to George uh, W. Bush when he ran, uh, talking about compassionate conservatism, was appointing an African-American Secretary of State twice, a national, uh, national Security Advisor, Alberto Gonzalez, uh, being his uh, 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 attorney general, etc., uh, really trying to make inroads with black and Hispanic voters. Uh, and then the Tea Party movement happened, and they began tiptoeing over to the the radical parts of the American right. Uh, you started seeing more voices such as Ted Cruz and Rand Paul uh, emerge in American politics. This uh, mutated into the MAGA movement by 2016, uh, where you saw 
until the rise of Donald Trump. And now the, the horses are out the barn. The people coming along now are more extreme than Trump to the point that Trump get, has had to change his positions uh, to move further to the right to mollify the MAGA movement. Uh, the Trump who is running in 2024 is not the same Trump that ran in 20 and not the same Trump that ran in 16. Uh, he was an insurgent in 16. He was a uh, incumbent in 20. Uh, and now, he, as he says, he is vengeance. Uh, and these people are not worried about what is best to uplift African Americans and other minority groups. Uh, they want to cleanse the nation. They believe that these people are poisoning the blood of America. Uh, uh, if you look at the poll numbers after President Trump started talking about the uh, poisoning the blood, uh, they went up in Iowa. They did a focus group, and they said that the, the voters in Iowa and in New Hampshire agree with them. Uh, he extended his lead thereafter. So those are not the people that you want to start having a uh, PhD-level conversation on the latent effects of slavery with. Uh, these are not the voters that uh, care about what can be done to bridge the racial wealth gap. These are people who believe that they are the left-behind Americans, that they are being victimized by the current American system, that white people in this country uh, are the victims of uh, and need help, and that these programs that are meant to uplift other communities uh, are meant to tear down uh, what is left of white supremacy. And they say these things explicitly now. There's no longer a dog whistle, a bullhorn uh, when they put these messages out there. So we have uh, Nikki Haley uh, uh, talking about our failing to talk about the Civil War. Is right in line with Vivek Ramaswamy saying he wants to repeal President Trump's actions on racial justice. He wants to get rid of opportunity zones. Uh, he wants to uh, reincarcerate all those people President Trump let out of office or let out of prison. Uh, goes right along with Ron DeSantis and his war against wokeness, uh, war against critical race theory, war against uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. They are explicitly running on a campaign of turning back the clock uh, to a place in the 1950s where you had a racial caste system in America, uh, and that the conversation about uh, slavery uh, causing the civil uh, causes the Civil War, uh, well, well, that goes against what they're trying to push, which is this idea that white Americans are now the victims uh, of a racially segregated society, as opposed to being the beneficiaries thereof, and that they need policies to be put in place that will uphold that system. We saw the same thing happen in apartheid South Africa. Uh, we saw the same thing happen in Kosovo. Whenever you have a majority group that is used to being in power, and they see that power uh, uh, creating uh, into the uh, uh, to other groups, they begin to balkanize and come together and try to uh, use every lever of government possible to maintain power, and that's the positions we're seeing in as America becomes a majority minority nation. Dwight McKee, this this notion of coalition building, it, 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 as uh, as Robert was talking, you have this contrast. Black and brown voters feeling like they've been taken advantage of or taken for granted by the Democratic Party and totally ignored by the Republican Party. And yet you're starting to see some of these demographic shifts at some level where uh, some some easing, some slippage, a bit of the dominance of the Democratic Party around racial issues seems not to be beholding. Is that is that really a thing? What is that about or is there something else going on where uh, the issues of racial justice, the issues of racial equity, closing the racial wealth gap is really not 
as big a deal as some folks are making it to be? Is there, is there something that we're missing or is there something else going on? What's your take? Well, it's, it's an issue of, of, uh, in a real sense, uh, deliverables is that black people have felt taken for granted. I mean, they've given their all in all to the democratic party. It's like a bad marriage. You know, you bring all the presents, you bring all the gifts, you bring all the other cards, you bring all of the flowers, and all you get in 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 uh, in uh, response is uh, is my dinner ready yet, or make me some lemonade. You know, it's 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 a relationship that white but black people feel like they have invested. And cultivated, and when you look at the conditions of black people, that the liberals have, the liberals have been uh, disproportional to the investment, at least in the minds of a lot of black people. And so uh, these broken promises now has created a frustration that a lot of black people, particularly black men, believe that they would can do just as well cutting, trying to cut deals with the Republican Party. That than they did in investing their hearts and minds in the Democratic Party and watching them become really a a miniature uh, a miniature example of a party which is as committed to white supremacy and white domination in many ways as uh, as Republican Party has been. But it's not as been as honest about it, and has been willing to just you know to, to take the uh, the dominant dominant part of the budget, the dominant part of those things which black people have been fighting for and feel they deserve, and and begin to extract from the main budget little tokens of this is the next. And it is not, you know, does not address the real issues of, of black people and the dilemmas of black people. So if you look at this so, issue like the reparations issue, uh, they are, as it seems to be, adverse to reparations for black people as the Republican Party is. So, you know, you almost make, for black men, you make a choice that you, you may at least get uh at least a small, a larger piece of the pie on the Republican side. It, it's it's interesting there, then, Aaron, when we're talking about coalition building, right? So primaries, you're really kind of talking to your base. But then when you get past the primary and you have your nominee, you now have to kind of move from whatever your extreme is, left or right, back to the center and kind of develop a what might appear to be, or hopefully appear to be a more inclusive agenda. So how do you manage expectations? If that's the backdrop and these primaries are really just kind of insular discussions, mm-hmm. what what are we supposed to get out of the primary season? How do we get folks to engage and then stay engaged all the way through to November? Well, I, I think for the, the Republican side, you know, politically, and on the map, they have some real challenges, right? No matter who the candidate is. 
And I think it's why everyone's panicking, because when you look at the math and you look at the map, Donald Trump's your best bet, right? If you're if you're making bets, that's what you have to go with, because otherwise the coalition gets wobbly and it's uncertain. It's untested Um, with someone like Nikki Haley, for example. Um, she's walking that high line tightrope of trying to garner enough support with this base that is very, very different from a national electorate that she would have to appeal to to actually win, right? And she doesn't have that that twenty per- strong twenty percent that she knows is is going to rally behind her like Donald Trump does. So if you're looking at that it gets challenging for another candidate to really come together and, and beat a strong incumbent machine on the Democratic side, despite the recent, you know, uh, hits in the polls. So um, I think there's a real, real challenge there. On the Democratic side, you know, you know my opinion on this, and I think I agree with Santita. We wanted more debates on the Democratic side. I think it's always good to have that, that rich, discussion about ideas so we can talk about things like racial justice and following through on how about um, ensuring we have the Voting Rights Act uh, uh, vindicated as a as a movement and pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, right, and actually protect our democracy. There's some there's some things that we needed to discuss on the Democratic side on the national stage. That, that I wish we had more of an opportunity in this primary season, especially for those folks who are depending on a strong ticket to fight in difficult districts. And a lot of these folks are progressive, right? We have folks coming up um, in local races, state races, and even on the federal side who are millennials, who are now even Gen, X, Gen Z, and they need the support and momentum to to win those those tight elections those those seats aren't certain in many areas so um i think we need to see more momentum somehow on the democratic side i think there's an opportunity uh to come together more on uh some of the the policy things that haven't gotten enough attention and what we can do better instead of just i think people are are getting a little tired even with trump's rhetoric that is dangerous. We understand that, but they, they're not hearing those warnings anymore. It's not an effective message. So we have to, we have, to have a, a bigger debate um, on the Democratic side um, in the wake of, you know, the, the problems that, that we see on the, on the GOP stage <laughs> during these debates. Interesting. Interesting. We have a caller. Lee. You want to call oh, and tell us yeah, about Nikki yeah. Haley's comments? Good morning. Happy New Year. Yeah, yeah I, I think it was Dwight McKee who said this. Uh, he said if you use a certain words uh, as a government official, you, be, you, have, you get a legal obligation to address the issue. Okay, here's my situation. Um, there's, a, there's a statute in the U.S. Code called Conspiracy to Defraud the United States. And basically, if you intentionally do something which which either hinders or impairs the purpose of your agency, uh, then you can go to jail for this baby. And to be honest, I think just about everything the Republican Party is doing, they do to gain power rather than to serve the nation. As a result, 
basically everything they do is a violation of that statute. You know, uh, the Supreme Court has been making what has been uh, labeled bipartisan decisions. I'm sorry, not partisan decisions. And uh, basically, Ian Milheiser wrote a book and he titled it Injustices because the rulings that they make make our laws unjust or unjust, if you want to call it that. And, you know, he's right on point. Uh, And they're basically violating their oath when they say we'll uh, administer the law without respect to persons, meaning we're not going to favor the Republicans or the Democrats or the rich people or the gay people or the ungay people and so on. So they're basically violating their, their oath every time they rule. Uh, you know, there's five, there's four, five, three, of, you know, six, three, five, four, uh, you know, all Republicans against all Democrats. Uh, but anyway, the, the reason I called is to get, if, if Dwight McKee has a site uh, of what this obligation, uh, you know, the legality of this obligation is, I'd love to include it, because I'm going to go after the Republican senators who refuse to pass gun restrictions for political purposes, you know, the NRA and the, the gun manufacturers don't want them because it makes more money for them. And they're killing people by not passing the gun restrictions. So we've got them, you know, by the neck. And especially if, if this obligation is legal, then uh, I've got documentation of all the things that they've said about, you know, passing gun restrictions. So, you know, we got a good jail for that. <laughs> you know, with windows even. <laughs> yeah, I don't really call them either. Well, well, Lee, thanks for the call. Interesting perspective. We'll get the feedback from Dwight McKee. We're getting ready to take a break. Earl, don't go anywhere. Want to hear your comment at the bottom of the hour. But at the bottom of the hour, when we come back, John Nichols from The Nation magazine will be here talking about partisan gerrymandering in, yes, the state of Wisconsin. It's still an issue. Stay right there. We'll be back. It's the Santita Jackson Show. Todd Deary sitting in for my big sis, Santita Jackson. 773-763-9278. Be back in a minute. WCPT 820. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Well, welcome back to the last half hour of the Santita Jackson Show. I'm Todd Deary, senior pastor of the Douglas Memorial Community Church in Baltimore, sitting at my desk. Coming to you live from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive radio station, AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Uh, 773-763-9278 is the number to call. Uh, Santita's letting me sit in the big chair. Uh, she's my big sis. She's moving, so she's got a whole lot going on, and I promised her I would not touch the button. So, so far, so good. Uh, we're, we're just hanging in there. Before the break, I was talking to uh, Attorney Robert Patillo, uh, part of the Rainbow Push Coalition family, hosted his own show on WALK Radio. Aaron Connolly, co-founder of Covenant Strategies, an attorney in her own right, community and political organizer and strategist, and Dwight McKee, social scientist, dean of students of the Mile Redemption Project at New Mount Pilgrim Missionary Baptist Church in Chicago. Uh, we've been talking about the, pri- the, the primaries are coming up. We're here. 
Uh, and before the break, Earl called in. And Earl, I want to get your thoughts because I think you you have a, a take on it. Happy New Year to you. What's going on? And Happy New Year to you and your family. I hope you have a prosperous New Year and a healthy New Year. Uh, and to all of the listeners uh, that are out there. Um, I'm definitely afraid of the disinformation that is out there and the what I call faulty logic, uh, faulty logical thinking about that they, black people uh, can receive more from the Republican Party than uh, what's coming, what currently we can uh, receive from the Democratic Party. Now, I know there's a lot of resentment out there. I know there's a lot of frustration out there. But the faulty logic becomes uh, quite evident if you consider that uh, Donald Trump and his presidency was absolutely, completely against black and brown people, disenfranchising the votes for black and brown people to uh, maintain a, a white base ruling of the uh, the nation uh, from a minority standpoint. Uh, and so we have a population that has been uh, affected by the, the media uh, negatively, because the, the lies and distortions that come out of the Republican Party also filters into the mainstream, and we also know we have key players like China, Iraq, I mean Iran and uh, Russia, who are very interested in uh, sowing disinformation out there to uh, confuse and uh, uh, disillusion American public so that we don't uh, elect someone who wants a democracy. Uh, now, we have a very unrealistic understanding of how our society works, in my opinion. Uh, we don't teach civics anymore. We don't realize that it takes votes and a numerical majority uh, of superior uh, like-minded people who are looking for a progressive agenda to get things voted through and passed on that will help benefit black folks. Now, if you listen to white folks, that's all you hear on the other news channels or the alternative news channels, that they feel disaffected. They feel that they are uh, disenfranchised. They feel that the, the society is not working for them, and they want Trump to come in and, uh, you know, keep brown and black people in their place. Uh, and uh, keep the power base in the white people's hands. And uh, I'm, I'm just sorry that we don't teach physics. We don't have a media that can attack this disinformation. We have a, a bunch of frustrated people. And I understand the frustration. I've been a black man all of my life. Well, no, not all of my life because... I'm older, so at one point I was a Negro. Oh, <laughs> and uh, and then we flipped the script, and then I was black because I, when I was coming up there back in the day, uh, if you were black, that was a racial slur, and uh, that was, those were fighting words. But, you know, back yeah. with the uh, Black Power Movement and stuff, all that got changed around, and so we became Afro-Americans and all this other good stuff. But I just really wish that we had a way to communicate to black people that 
there are a whole lot of people that will feel dissatisfied with the system. The system is not perfect. I'll be the first one to admit it. But I'll also be the first one to admit that we are never going to get anything uh, from the uh, quote-unquote heads of the Republican Party that's uh, trying to uh, disenfranchise black people's vote, uh, trying to have a two-tiered power base. And I just don't know. Whenever I hear yeah. that uh, people are disenfranchised, you know, dissatisfied with uh, the Democratic Party, I fully appreciate the frustration. But the alternative is far worse. And if we well, don't so understand that's, that's, that, okay, I'll, okay, I'll hang up and let you comment on the rest of it. But thank you for your well, no, thank, uh, thank, my comments. Well, thank thank you, Earl, for your call. I think you you point out an, an issue around the the dynamic of participation, the, the frustration with the process writ large, uh, which kind of reinforces, I think, some of what you lay out. Everybody has their preference, I think, in terms of what they're looking at. John Nichols, a national correspondent for The Nation magazine, is joining us now to talk about, I think, an undercurrent that kind of reinforces a bit of Earl's frustration. And it's actually the, uh, the partisan gerrymandering that we don't always see at the congressional district level, but also at, but at the state legislative levels. And the next fight seems to be in Wisconsin. We've heard John Nichols that, uh, you know, we've got the, the redrawing of maps in Alabama. The Georgia map was just, uh, you know, recertified at the congressional level. But there's something else going on at the same time. Happy New Year to you, my friend. Walk us through this dynamic and maybe speak a bit to uh, Earl's caution about where we are in terms of the process. Well, Happy New Year to you and Happy New Year to uh, everybody else who's, who's on the call with us and, and, and to Earl. Because Earl brought us some very important insight there, very, very important thought as regards what's going on. There is a lot of concern about people disengaging from the process, about people, even in these incredibly challenging and difficult and overwhelming times, people saying, you know, I don't know if it matters. I don't know if I should, should even you know, bother to think about this when I've got so many other troubles in my life, so many other challenges. And part of the reason for that is that we have made politics irrelevant to a lot of people. Now, how do I, what do I mean by that? I mean, I cover politics for a living. How could it possibly be irrelevant? But what we have done is in much of the country, we have made our down-ballot races for Congress, for state legislature, for other offices, almost meaningless because the districts are drawn in a way that there's no competition right, that you absolutely know who is going to win because they've been so gerrymandered toward one party, toward one group, that that they just aren't competitive. And this has an impact not just at the local level, but at the state level, because if all of your districts are uncompetitive, right, or the overwhelming majority of them, what happens is you kind of know how the election is going to turn out, right? You know who's going to control the legislature, and for the last 12 years in Wisconsin, that's how it was. Wisconsin's a battleground state. It's one of the most competitive states in the country. It's where presidential elections are decided by 20,000 votes sometimes, very small numbers. So we know it's evenly divided. And yet our state legislature is two-thirds Republican. 
two-thirds Republican, an extreme right-wing Republican. Now, how could that possibly be in a competitive state? Well, the answer is they gerrymandered the districts. They drew the lines so that they put overwhelming numbers of black folks and liberal white folks into very tightly concentrated districts, right? Everybody's all concentrated in those districts. And then they, they map the rest of the state so that it, it leans just enough toward the Republicans that the Republicans win more districts. They win the overwhelming majority of the districts. It's an unfair map. It's not competitive. And it, I think, causes a lot of people to get frustrated and just give up. Say, well, it doesn't matter how I vote. Well, it's been 12 hard years. But in Wisconsin, the Supreme Court, on the Friday before Christmas, talk about, talk about gifts. The Supreme Court ruled that the maps were unconstitutional. They weren't fairly drawn. They weren't competitive. And so over the next matter of weeks, just a few weeks, the maps are going to be redrawn so that they can be, we can have competitive elections this year. And there is going to be obviously a guarantee of minority representation, a guarantee of fair representation for everybody, right? Nobody's, nobody's going to lose anything here, but they are going to gain genuinely competitive elections. And with that, there is a possibility, not a certainty, that Wisconsin will elect a Democratic legislature this year for the first time since uh, 2010. No, since 2008. Since, first time since Barack Obama was elected president. And that's a big deal, because with that election of a Democratic legislature, and you have a Democratic governor, you have the potential in Wisconsin that suddenly you will have full funding of education. You'll stop picking on the university for teaching about diversity and for, you know, opening things up to be more inclusive. You will start to make sure that social welfare programs are well-funded, that our healthcare system is more functional, that we accept Medicare and Medicaid, make all these things work. There's so much that flows from it. And so this is a big deal. And the final thing I'll suggest to you, why it's a very big deal, is if you've got competitive legislative districts, Across the state, a lot more people turn out at the local level, at the regional level, and that has a profound impact on the presidential race. Again, Wisconsin being a battleground state. So a lot of good, we actually got some very, very good news at the end of uh, 2023 as regards fair elections. And that's going to be good news in Wisconsin. And as you point out, in Alabama and other states across the country. Uh, things seem to be opening up a little bit in this regard, and we ought to keep, you know, now that we've got that little opening, we ought to keep pushing harder. We're talking to John Nichols, national affairs correspondent from The Nation magazine, about political gerrymandering as a challenge, in this case, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, as we've seen it come up in discussions across the country, John, is it your sense that more competitively drawn districts will have, or what kind of impact do you think? I know you mentioned some of the policy mm -hmm. issues that would probably sway a little differently, but how does that change the political discourse when you actually do have competitive districts that oh. allow for more diverse opinions? Reverend Yuri, you are a wise man, because uh, I, you know, I know where your question is headed. And, of course, that is, that is a huge part of all this, because if you've got competitive districts, the 
many uh, parties in their primaries are going to nominate more competitive candidates. You're not going to go to the extremes in your primaries. And that's what we've seen a lot with these gerrymandered districts around the country where the Republicans have taken state legislatures and they've made them extremely right wing. Well, in a gerrymandered district of that kind, the way you win your primary is by going far to the right. You you say things that are, you know, way over the top, sometimes racially insensitive, sometimes, you know, cruel to LGBTQ community. You do all this stuff to try and, and, you know, move to that extreme position because that's how you win a primary. And they don't have to worry about the general election because the district is so drawn to their party that it's not competitive. Now, if you make a district competitive, right, if the Republicans can only be competitive if they nominate a candidate who's in the mainstream, who, who you know, recognizes that what most people worry about is not what books are in their schools or, you know, trying to ban some book. What they worry about is whether they've got food on the table, whether they've got health care, whether they've got access to education. So it has a profound impact on, um, on frankly, both parties. Both parties start to talk more about the practical needs that people have. Now, frankly, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to bias this one way or the other, but I'll tell you, I think the Democrats have been doing that for a long time. They, tend, they have tended to focus a great deal on economics, on education, on health care, and on things of that nature. But the Republicans have strayed far, far away from that. When you get rid of gerrymandering, it draws them more into, I think, more into the mainstream, maybe a little bit away from Trump, a little bit more toward an honest dialogue. And if they don't come there, if they don't come there, they're more likely to get beat. And so the end result is that either you have a more reasonable discourse, right, a discourse that is rooted more in, in practical realities of people's real needs, or you're going to have a, a, a more likely big wins for the Democrats. Either way, either way, um, it's likely on policy that we end up with uh, a much more progressive set of policies, frankly, uh, policies that, that recognize, uh, again, that people have practical needs for access to education, access to health care. I shouldn't even say access. I don't like the word access is a, is a, a poor word to use in this context. To say they will have education, they will have health care, they will have Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security fully funded, functioning for them, and they will in their communities have the sort of uplift and revitalization that, frankly, in a lot of this country, people have been denied in recent years. And so there's a lot of good that comes from this. Um, I know it's sometimes, you know, people can be overwhelmed when you're talking about, you know, gerrymandering and district lines and how many people here and how many people there, you know, start to seem like a lot of bureaucracy. But in the midst of that bureaucracy of elections, that's how we actually make democracy work. And if democracy works, we're going to have economic and social and racial justice. Is is there a contrast, John? You know, we're looking at a number of states that are in this, I guess, tug of war over the drawing of maps. Uh, Some of them are at the congressional level. Some of them are at the legislative level, a couple of states at both levels, right? Georgia just had mm-hmm. their uh, redrawn con- congressional map kind of endorsed by the, the federal judge there. But then you have kind yep. of an interesting contrast out of New York, kind of the flip of Wisconsin, where their independent commission 
did not really hold up its end of the bargain. And now the state Supreme Court there has sent right. them back to redraw the New York uh, legislative maps. What, what's, is there a distinction between the two, or are they just kind of two sides of the same kind of turmoil in our political system <laughs> that, that we've leaned so far to either the left or the right who've actually fallen down and don't even know? Well, that's, there, there isn't that much distinction. Um, and you're wise to ask the question, Reverend Harry. Look, here's what we're really talking about. We have, it isn't about Republicans and Democrats. It isn't even about left and right. What's happened is we have entered into an era of winner-take-all politics, i.e. both sides, because there's so much money in politics, because there's so much special interest influence, it's become an industry. And so if you're competing in elections, if you're trying to figure out how to win elections, you'll, you'll go to any level to win, even if it means making elections unfair. That's, what's we, that's what we've seen with these restrictive voter ID laws. That's what we've seen in some states, and you know this, Reverend, in some states they've tried to, to ban souls to the polls. They've tried to make it hard to, to vote on weekends and at night, and they've done all these things to make it tougher to vote, right? Why are they doing that? It isn't because they're worried about, you know, somebody voting illegally. That just doesn't happen. I mean, it's exceptionally rare. What they're worried about is high turnout elections where people really do participate and they're engaged and they're excited. And so winner-take-all politics tries to narrow the amount of competition, narrow the amount of participation so that a minority, in this case a very right-wing, extreme uh, conservative minority, can win even though most people don't support it. And, and so that's, what, that's what's happening at the state level. That happens at the federal level. I mean, take a look at the U.S. House of Representatives. I know we're talking about the state. But look at the U.S. House of Representatives. The Republicans took control of it almost exactly a year ago today, right? They had those horrible messes of nights where they're having vote after vote and finally picked Kevin McCarthy. What have they done in the last year? It's been chaos. It's been a dysfunctional chamber of our, our federal government. And the end result is they got rid of McCarthy. Now they got another guy. They haven't passed hardly anything. They don't work well with Biden. They don't work well with the Senate. They don't even work well with the Republicans in the Senate. And so you've ended up with the ultimate play out of winner-take-all politics. They won, but then they don't do anything with it. They can't do anything with it because they're so extreme. That has happened at the federal level. That also happens at the state level. And it's something, honestly, that we have to break. We've got to break beyond it so that we have a politics that is genuinely about issues and ideas and values, and we will disagree. There are going to be people on the left, and there are going to be people on the right. There are going to be Republicans. There's going to be Democrats. There's going to be independents. There's going to be people you know, all over the place. They're all going to disagree. That's real, and that's fine. What isn't fine is creating a politics where you shut down those you disagree with, right? Where you prevent them from being heard. Because, Reverend Erie, you know as well as I, when you get a politics that allows one side to shut the other side down, to narrow its, its ability to speak, to narrow its ability to be heard, which side gets shut down? It's always the side of the working class, the poor, those who, those who are struggling. They're the ones that get pushed aside, and the wealthy and the powerful and the elites, they get what they want. And so what we're talking about here is doing our best to break this thing open 
so that we've got a fairer and more honest politics. And, and maybe, just maybe, some working class folks, poor folks, some people who've been disenfranchised for a long time, finally get a place at the table. That's what, that's what making fair elections is all about. So how, how do we get there, John? In some instances, some states have independent commissions that do the drawing as opposed to the legislative body. Other states, it's mm-hmm. whoever is in the legislature at that time, and then there might be a battle between uh, right. the legislature and the executive, and, and you might have that tug of war. Maryland's kind of the flip of that. you got a supermajority in both chambers of uh, the House of Delegates and the state Senate. Uh, you have a Democratic mm-hmm. governor in Westmore, and so the map reflects, of course, that that reality. How do we get back? What's the people's role? I mm-hmm. think that's really the big question right. here. Where do the well, people fit question. within this in, in this calculus about getting back to a more competitive politics that gets us out of this winner take all mentality? Mm-hmm. Well, you're getting to the heart of the matter there. Now, quickly tell you that Maryland. It's not an unreasonable thing in Maryland because Maryland's a Democratic state, right? So it's not unreasonable that in Maryland, the legislature is going to be pretty Democratic. You look at how Maryland votes for president. You look at how it votes for the U.S. Senate. That's the nature of the state. you got more Democrats there. You go to Wyoming, right? Wyoming's a pretty Republican state. they got a Republican governor, Republican legislature. It's the nature of the state. And you may, may be able to make things a little more competitive, but it's not going to be dramatic change. But you look at battleground states, states like Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania and Georgia and North Carolina and Arizona, Nevada. These are states that are pretty evenly divided. You know, when they have a presidential election, it's very close. Florida is one of those, too, to some extent. They're pretty close. And so their their legislature should be, you know, reasonably evenly divided. But they're not. If you look at some of these states, it's two-thirds Republican. Why? Because they gerrymandered to make sure that the elections weren't competitive. So the role of the people, the role of the people is to demand that their legislatures, that their governance reflects their population, right? That, that it reflects where they're at. Yes, if it's a Democratic state, you're going to have a very Democratic legislature. If it's a Republican state, you're going to have a very Republican legislature. But if it's a competitive state, it ought to be competitive, right? And you ought to have fair, honest, open elections. And that's true everywhere, by the way. You know, the, the bottom line is, I've covered elections in 25, 30 countries around the world. When I go to South Africa, they've got a, an election commission that makes sure that elections are run by the same rules in every part of South Africa. When I go to Germany, it's the same way. Or you go anywhere in the world, it's that way. But boy, when you go to the United States, We've got 50 different sets of rules in 50 different states, all of them pulling at one another. There isn't a baseline that says no matter where you live, your vote ought to count the same, right? And it ought to be counted. So as a country, one of the things that people ought to be demanding is a a system where there's a baseline of fairness for everybody, no matter how wealthy they are, no matter what their background is, so that nobody is left on the sidelines. Fairness for everybody. That's the game. We're in campaign season. It's an election year. We're going to keep our eyes on political gerrymandering. John Nichols, national affairs correspondent for The Nation magazine. 
Again, Happy New Year to you, my friend. So glad to be with you. Want to thank everybody that helped me get through sitting in the big chair. First, Antita Jackson, appreciate you, sis. Keep moving. Keep packing those boxes. In the meantime, to Alex Castaneda, to Matt, to the whole team at WCPT, thank you. Robert Patillo, Dwight McKee, Aaron Connolly, thanks for hanging out. And to all of you, all of the listeners to the Sandita, of the Santita Jackson Show, WCPT, 820 AM 950 in Minneapolis. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Happy New Year. Time to get in the game. This is the people's fight, but it's only the people's fight if the people fight. The Santita Jackson Show. I'll see you soon. Getting back in my place. I didn't touch any buttons. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.